Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In today's episode, we continue our conversation around dissatisfaction or dukkha in Sanskrit. It also gets translated as suffering, but I kind of like dissatisfaction a little bit better. Um, we highlight the eight types of suffering as taught in Buddhist philosophy, as well as the five aggregates of compositional factors in our human experience. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. You to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow Gian Tears, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So, this is like a kind of a little scheduling wise is an interesting set of things for Daniel and I because we were talking about this issue of dukkha suffering uh it was some episodes that we had done uh, uh prior and then we did some interview things and I was anticipating that we just spend a lot of time talking about uh sex in the next few episodes because <laughs> we talked about sex positivity but we had this suffering thing this dukkha suffering thing hanging over our heads that we hadn't finished so now we got to double back and finish it. But I think what you had said, Daniel, is that we had gotten feedback. There were people who thought this subject was important and we wanted to do it justice and not kind of leave it, just kind of hanging. So yeah, yeah, the response to the episode was pretty good. And you know, we ended up with it, we ended with a cliffhanger, and you can't just, you know, they already yeah, that have would be one not quite right. <laughs> there's already one movie with Sylvester Stallone called Cliffhanger. We couldn't do another one, you know, it's not yeah, we weren't doing a Sylvester Stallone tribute episode. No, 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 no. In the last 45 seconds of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it, it's kind of interesting because I was thinking like, you know, prepping these notes and stuff that it is like a time of a lot of dukkha, which can be translated as suffering, can be translated as like frustration, um, unsatisfactoriness or something. Yeah. And like, I mean, maybe that's the reason some of this is going to resonate with all of us. You know, I've been certainly thinking about this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I like it has been the most pleasant time of my life. I'm having a little bit of dukkha. So, so the preamble to this, you know, besides just set, put set in the context that we're doubling back to an episode we had started before was also, you know, um, this is subject matter. One of our goals on this whole podcast thing is to talk as honest as we can about uh, the range of ideas that we're covering. Mm -hmm. And we don't just want to present them like, you know, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. Here's what they say in some old Buddhist book or what some Buddhist teacher would say, we want to actually really talk about them and think about what they mean and where there are questions and doubts. <laughs> we want to express questions and doubts. And I have questions and <laughs> I have questions yeah. and doubts. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk about them honest. Um, and the, the thing that's funny is that I remember like listening to a thing from Guy Newland, who was a guest of ours you know, a bit ago now, you know, one of our uh, great Buddhist guests. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, when he talked honestly with the Buddhist monks, they were like, well, <laughs> I believe in most of this, but this part, I don't know. You know, so this is a normal thing to do. And it's probably good just to talk about it in public and just say it, right? Yeah, just yeah. Pretending, pretending those issues aren't there. 
So I think that particularly within in this cliffhanger, and I think it's really like your the question you really want to raise. So mm -hmm. we'll like foreshadow it, mm -hmm. cliffhanger it, and then maybe we'll go back to it. But you were kind of asking this question of like, is suffering sort of a lesson kind of a thing? And then in a way, is it like um, just a, a sort of a learning experience for the spirit or the shen of the person and stuff like that? That's the way I heard the question that we yeah. cliffhangered with. Yep. Yeah. 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 And there are situations where people will talk about like life having a curriculum. There's in the, the Chinese medical world, there's Jeffrey Yuan, who's kind of an important Chinese doctor and uh, Taoist, uh, Taoist priest, Taoist priest, yeah. And uh, he talks about life having like a curriculum, you know, where you're learning and stuff like that. So we're going to like come back and like say what we think about that. <laughs> yeah. And see if we have questions or doubts about these things, foreshadowing. We'll come back to it and we'll consider consider it. But first, I think uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit pre-show and we'll go back and we'll kind of just finish this subject from sort of the Buddhist introductory tantric point of view, maybe not even the advanced tantric point of view, I'd probably have to come next episode or something, but from a basic point of view, what's being said. Hmm. Okay, so we had done this dukkha thing and you know, there's, a, there's a, even like a translation thing that we talked about in the last episode. So mm -hmm. suffering, hard translation, dissatisfactoriness, maybe. Stress. Yeah, Barry K. Ryan, uh, in her episodes, talked about this idea, which she has questions about, as being like uh, uh, frustration. Yeah, <laughs> like it's frustrating. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's all fair. Um, and then last episode, we went through when they do a, a Buddhist analysis of this, and Buddhists, like, uh, certainly in the Tibetan tradition, tantric tradition that we're referencing back to, they'll go pretty deep into like taking mm -hmm. things apart. So they said, like, really, there's immediate unpleasant things that you have to deal with. And then there's the changey part. And I think I tried to use the example of like being in love. And then you know that uh, that person uh, may not be there in the future. <laughs> Even when you're in love with them, there's a party they might be realizing like, oh, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, or like what they call pervasive uh, dukkha, which is just, um, it's an interesting question. It's kind of like there's always a limitation being put on the fact that the Shen can't fully express itself in the world. So because the Shen isn't able to fully express itself, you end up with this sort of constant nagging kind of uh, dukkha, you know, like it doesn't feel quite right, you know, because your Shen can't really express itself. Well, that would be, that would sort of give rise to Mary Kay's definition of frustration, right? The inability to express. Mm. I feel like that has a lot to do with the Chinese medical like liver thing. Yeah. And when I think about that and the idea, yeah. like sometimes they say in adults in Chinese medicine, they say treat the liver. So in adults treat the liver, but that's just because in Chinese medicine, that physical system is associated with like frustrating things and aggravating things and unfulfilled desires and things like that. So I buy it. I think like, they're also talking about like some deeper part of the Shen that is sort of not fully, uh, you know, there or something, you know, like you're, they're talking about Buddha nature on some level. You know, and since your Buddha nature isn't fully shining or something. Yeah, and and I think the other part is that that like that phase that that physiological system in the Chinese medical system is also about like visioning and planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's this kind of like two phase part, right? One, people are often um, subject to indecision very readily. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then simultaneously, having a vision is not so readily available for people when you're in this kind of monotonous sort of existence and that you're unable to see, you know, what a potential might be outside of some, you know, grandiose fantasy. Like where, where is the middle ground between like, I, if I just hit this lottery, my life will be fixed versus 
planning daydreamy thing or something where yeah. there's something that adds more solidity yeah mm -hmm. versus planning and seeing it through but to your point daydream actually does help actually because then you're opening yourself up to those kinds of visions at least it's something some people don't daydream they don't night dream and it's probably difficult to do the the regular planning parts in life too so this aspect of frustration as a as a uh, reflection of the constraint that we feel is probably apropos actually i totally buy in like in some of my you know like in my my day job or i guess this is the day of my other job <laughs> you know my tcm work it's like um you know i i've, I've really bought in i've like taught whole classes where i'm like okay i'm just going to acknowledge this part of adult life and just talk about what chinese medical culture tries to do about this yeah just like let's just say that's the case yeah i think um well, we'll come back to the whole idea of like yeah, yeah. Buddha nature, Yuan Shen, and all that. And what would that mean for that to be like fully vibing, like with the amps turned up to 11 and just really going, you know, what would that even be like? But um, yeah, so that was the idea of it. Okay, so, so that's one way of thinking about this. Then to really like do the subject justice, uh, there's this way that they break this down into like eight different types <laughs> of being, of unpleasant experiences. <laughs> So if we're really going to do it, we got to do it. But it'll also give us a chance to talk about one of your favorite subject matters, Daniel, which is the five aggregates. I so just, we'll get some fun there too. So it won't be all dukkha. The way, the way that the, the Buddhist philosophy approaches psychology and yeah, yeah. the makeup of, uh, or the potential makeup of our minds, to me is just like, it's just fascinating, you know? Yeah. It's fascinating, really is. Anyway, so let's yeah, let's do it. Talked about it in episodes, but we haven't done like a full deep dive. So I'm really curious to hear your what you have to say about those things. Yeah. Too. So okay, it'd be a good time. All right. So for these eight different things, I think it kind of makes sense to divide them up into two sets of four. So as the part of the part of the podcast that's trying to be a little educational, here's the educational part. You know, so um, the first four to me that fit together are birth illness, aging, death. <laughs> this is dukkha. Now, full confession this, I kind of reverse the order. Sometimes they go birth, aging, sickness, death. Almost talking about like the kind of illnesses that affects people, affect, affect people toward the ends of their lives. But I think for a lot of us, we experience illness like long before that time in our life. So I feel like it's almost right to flip it. So if you look at some Buddhist thing, if you get curious about the subject matter, you're reading it later on, you may be like, wait a minute, that's a different order. I did that kind of on purpose, you know, and like, and, you know, certainly during like pandemic times, there's illness all over the place now. Right. And so, you know, people are dealing with illnesses and the consequences of illness. And so I just think that's what makes a more sensible way to talk about it. And we've dealing with illnesses since we've been tiny kids, you know, we've mm -hmm. been dealing with the unpleasantness of illnesses. So I just kind of like it better that way, but yeah. you know, full, full confession, I changed it. Right. Um, so these all seem kind of tied together to me. And the way this has always looked to me is that they're just kind of like essentially inescapable. If you're going to be living a life, yeah. you know, this stuff is going to happen to you or to the people that you love, you know, and they're kind of like inevitabilities. So I always look at this one as being like, yeah, these are kind of like the life inevitables that kind of present like, uh, you know, just fundamental. You almost get, get like existential challenges or something, right? You can mm -hmm. imagine being like, in France in a cafe, you know, with like some French existential philosophers, mm. you know, like drinking absinthe and like talking about this they because can't. it's, yeah, yeah, it's like not, it's like, I, there's nothing you can do about it kind of, right? you know, for the, like, 
as far as like a normal human life. There's no, there's no wiggle room on this shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see it if there is some. So, and so they're kind of inescapabilities. Now, like I think in the Lady India episode, just to go back to like a recent conversation about this, she was really interesting because she talked about like almost remembering like her birth experience. Right. And it was very Buddhist. <laughs> and she said it was really unpleasant, <laughs> whatever her memories were. I was like, wow, it's so Buddhist. And they talk this way. You know, they basically say, yeah, going through the process of birth is difficult. Mm. You know, I think she said that she was a C-section. So she did talk about that. And for her, the way she described it was the first difficult part was just like the cold air on your skin when you used to be floating in this nice warm water. All mm. of a sudden you're out in this cold air. But, you know, you're going to be pushed through a birth canal. That's not going to be too easy. <laughs> you know, and uh, if you're not a C-section and so on. So they really talk about this and just say, yeah, this is like the way life starts is with this experience that yeah. is intense and, uh, and difficult, you know? Um, I suppose if I think about it, my daughter's birth was really easy. She came out like a little, like Venus on a clamshell or something. She came out looking all beautiful. All the nurses were ooing and eyeing because she was all pink and rosy and all that. I had never seen a kid born before. Her <laughs> eyes were kind of puffy. So she looked a little like amphibian to me. <laughs> so I maybe was under impressed. I was like, yeah, her eyes are pretty, but you know, she looks good. <laughs> You're like, yeah, okay. I didn't know. Uh, I felt the tug of my heartstring, but I didn't you know, know about the appearance. Uh, and then my son's birth was really difficult. And he came out like all and like purple and weird. And I went, oh yeah, she looked really good. Respectively, <laughs> <laughs> I was totally wrong. Yeah, wow, I didn't give her any of her, any of the cred that she deserved. <laughs> but my daughter, I could, I do tell her like all the nurses were ooing and eyeing. She likes to hear that. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to hear that? So, anyway, so if you want, if you've seen a birth, you're like, yeah, the kids come out and it's rough, right? So, anyways, that's the experience. The other weird part from the Lady India thing, um, and this is the deep analysis that comes from the founder of the school, the Dalai Lama, is the great philosopher, tantrika, Tsongkhapa, and he kind of goes through this, other Buddhist teachers do too, but she was talking about kind of like this feeling of uh, not being in this safe, secure environment, that your initial days are in this completely safe and secure environment where you're completely taken care of, and uh, you know, you're floating in utero. <laughs> Some part of you probably remembers that experience, and, uh, and uh, in the absence of that, your first experience of like separation, and this is, I mean, mm. I guess in a certain sense, they're kind of like birth trauma theories. Yeah. That it's kind of a traumatic experience because you're in this safe, warm, sheltered, completely providing environment. Next thing, bang, you're like out in this environment that's has harshness to it, right? So I I do these uh, breathwork classes, breathwork experiences that, that have taught to me, and um, when when the people have strong reactions, and this is like you're sort of lying down, and we're doing a lot of diaphragmatic breathing. Um, people will go through and have very different experience. Sometimes it's visual, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's somatic and they're having a really strong reaction. And for those who have the video, this is nice because you'll be able to see kind of what I'm going to do here. But for those who are just on the audio, they'll be, so you're just imagine you're laying on the ground, arms out by your sides or on your belly and you're breathing in and out through your nose or your mouth and your, your diaphragm is moving a lot, very, you know, very fast pace or, or okay. yeah, a lot, large, large amplitude. Okay. After some time, people will start picking up their pace or whatever, and they will have this physical reaction where they will start to have like some tetany and their fingers and their were curl up and their hands were curl up and their arms will curl up and their body will start to revert back into this fetal position. 
And from what was told to me um, by someone who's been practicing this for probably about 20 years is that's it's, it's reverting back to the fetal state actually, because your, your, your body is experiencing some, whether it's working through some somatic trauma or some, you know, whatever programming that's occurring, that the best place for you to be, the safest place for you to be as this is occurring is returning back to that fetal position. And every time that I do a class, there's usually one person that will have something similar to this experience, not always so intense, but sometimes it's really intense and they'll be there for a long time. And inevitably, whenever those people are there, they're working through some kind of trauma at a young age. It's not necessarily birth trauma, like to what you're saying, but it's similar in that it is a very young seated trauma. And it's an interesting observation that occurs that has been, I've, I've been seeing it occurring in my breathwork stuff for at least the last six, seven years. And it's been talked about for probably the last, since I've been doing, you know, I've been aware of this practice. It's weird because if you move the diaphragm, like that diaphragm freezes in a lot of people, right? If you yeah. just get to like the medical physical side. So the diaphragm freezes and there's a lot of repression of emotion associated with that diaphragm freezing. So if you purposely do stuff to, un- that seems this way to me, medically, you yeah. purposely do stuff to unfreeze the diaphragm, you're going to get all kinds of emotions that come out for people. And some of that yeah. might be way, way back in the time machine. Yeah. The fetal position thing is weird because I like can sometimes find myself like sleeping weird. Like I curve my wrist in some crazy way. <laughs> Mm. you know curl up on my side and I, i'll do this thing and i'm like well that's incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> what am i doing and i've had the thought like okay i'm trying to find my way back to some feeling of like you know you know so what was what a- was told to me is that like that that is the way back to feeling the most connected because that's mm-hmm. when we and the mother were connected yeah, the body right mm-hmm. yeah and that like at that time when we were in that position we were completely not subservient, but completely reliant on our mothers to care for us. And this is the the ultimate feeling that we can experience embodied as connect, you know, of connectivity is through our physical system in that, in that time frame. But then psychologically, if you approach it with a conscious perspective, that we could take that physical posture of being in a fetal position and have the, the sense of connectedness through the heart, through everything else, through the energies around us. It's, it's kind of nice, but not something I think we go to on a regular basis. People aren't just like laying on the floor, you know, rolled up in a ball. We're not, we're not socially supposed to. Right. <laughs> you know, like if you got, had a bad experience at work, you really might want to just roll up under your desk on the floor. You just can't. Yeah. Right. So that's right. repression, right? Yeah. On varying degrees, depending on how serious the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the enduringness of this, I'm supposed to like be doing some uh, Chinese medical pulse diagnosis classes probably sometime in the future. And um, I'll let people know through the podcast, there's anyone who would be curious about it. But uh, in the system that I learned from uh, this Leon Hammer system, they have um, like a pulse indication that can become associated with people who had a difficult labor, who had a difficult experience during labor and delivery themselves as kids, like Mm -hmm. sometimes with the umbilical cord wrapped around the neck Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And that you could still find like evidences of that, like in the pulse Mm. of a person of something that happened, you know, 20, 30, 40, however many years ago, it's still hanging around. So the whole idea that these things hang around in ways that you can find is like, like, I mean, from a, certainly from an Asian medical point of view, you can kind of come up with the things. I remember being in a class once and I was feeling like, you know, just a teaching class, you know, on campus and feeling someone's pulse and going, well, I don't know, you have this little thing that they say could be associated with someone who had a difficult like time when they were being born, you know? And she was like, no shit. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I had this whole thing. I was like, mm. I had this cord wrapped around my neck. I almost died. Like you have these experiences with this. And it's, it's not like everybody has it. So it's not like you're telling every single person. It's weird right. enough where it's like a little bit unique. 
So anyways, yeah, I could totally like, you know, on the medical side from what you're saying and like doing exercises with people and all this, that makes total sense to me for sure. Yeah. All right. So if you look at the last couple of things, Sankapa says about the whole birth thing, just as an example of how they take this apart, um, they'll say, yeah, this starts a process of like future experiences, you know, like this is like this whole birth thing means that you're going to do illness, aging and death. <laughs> <laughs> you know they just okay that's what it is you know so you're like yeah that's true and then that will lead to developing of like karmic tendencies that will lead to future stuff so they kind of take it apart really deep and as someone listening to this you can make out of this whatever you want you know but that's sort of how they talk about it all right eric before you move on i don't know uh, i've never read this book it literally just came into my head right now mm -hmm. I don't know if I've ever, whatever. I don't know where stuff comes when we record. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so there's a book. Okay, whoever's asking me to say this, you're welcome. Uh, the Body Keeps Score. Have you heard oh, of Oh, yeah, this? yeah. I've, I've talked with students who've read that. Mm -hmm. Okay, and? Yeah. I don't know if I have a deep opinion. No, I haven't read it. I've talked to people who read it and really like it. Okay. So I can certainly give that as a recommendation. I certainly have talked with people who really like um, have found it to be helpful. Okay. So I haven't personally looked at it, so I can't say from a personal point of view, but as far as, uh, you know, other people who've read it, students, and maybe other professionals, medical professionals, I, I know people who like it. Okay. Yeah. And I think it is like, well, I mean, to preview a little bit, we're going to have on, uh, on the Gramone, and this is definitely in her wheelhouse. She's definitely okay. trying to look at trauma, how it affects the body, uh, how it affects sexuality, specifically how it affects women and how that connects to things like pleasure in life so you know we're going to do an episode where probably this is going to be talked about a lot i'll be curious i'll ask her if she likes the book yeah yeah i don't know I'll where find it out from. and then come up and maybe it comes up when we do the episode mm -hmm. yeah sounds good cool so the intuitive voice was speaking it is um all right second four of these if the first four is birth sickness aging death mm -hmm. abilities. The second four are interesting in that they're kind of sort of inevitable in a way too, but not a little bit different. And I've thought about these a lot. And then we get to the parts of questions and doubts or qualms, I guess we'll, we'll think about these things, um, our own reactions to these, um, and then people watching and listening get to think about this too. So anyway, so here's the deal. So they say um, facing unpleasant experiences and being separated from pleasant experiences. So that's like one in two of these, mm -hmm. that this is inevitably going to happen. You're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do. That's going to be unpleasant. And there could be things that you probably want to do that uh, you're not going to be able to do. And that's going to happen. And I think they mean it in kind of an immediate way there, you know, there's going to be all kinds of experiences in life, which I guess gets to what you're talking about, like frustration yeah, and these kinds of things. You're like, I want to do this and I can't. I don't want to do this thing, but I have to. It sounds like they're addressing desire very specifically, right? That there will be unfulfilled, that they're guaranteed to be unfulfilled desires and that you're going to have to be uh, work on your attachment to those unfulfilled desires. Well, this is really interesting because the third one is that strong. So they kind of break it apart. This psychologically to me is kind of interesting because they say like, you're going to have to like face unpleasant experiences, things that you don't want to do. And then you're going to have to deal with not being able to do things that you do want to do. But then they do a third one, which is like not getting what you want. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's the, I, when I have always looked at that, I thought, well, that's when they mean something deep. Okay. Like you really want this thing. I think yeah. the other ones are kind of more like in the moment things that are unpleasant. Like paying taxes or something like that. Yeah. Or yeah. 
<laughs> but like, uh, but like, uh, I don't want to have to go to work today, but I have to go. Right, 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 right. You know, like more like maybe the grind of what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Versus I'd like, like to do this one, but uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that now. This versus time. like some longing or something like that. Yeah, something kind of deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when like when I think of that one, well, then a inevitable kind of list pops up in my head. Um, just looking at the people, you know, we can, well, we can all see this. So that could be like things around family and children, right? Where people don't, you know, want to have kids and they can't. And you know, right. we're medical people. If you work with people who want to have kids and you can't have kids, that's like its own special kind of thing, you know, uh, for women going through that, you know, or. Um, yeah, you know, if you know people in your life who've really had this, yeah, um, uh, love and not mm-hmm. having the love that you want mm-hmm. or the relationship mm-hmm. that you want, maybe being in love with someone who doesn't love you back or can't love you back or whatever that would be, that's a pretty major one. Right? Yeah, yeah. Certainly been through that in my life and probably most of other people have had too. So that's deep. Eh. Eh. <laughs> um, eh. Um, okay, uh, sexuality, maybe, you know, you want certain sexual experiences, a certain way that you want to be able to be in your sexuality, and you can't, mm-hmm. whatever those reasons are, things in your career, your professional life, your creative life that don't work out, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a, a, a just, um, I don't know, it's a deep statement acknowledgement that things may not work out for you. And it's like, suppose that's just honest. It's unpleasant. <laughs> it's definitely unpleasant to think about but it's honest right right i mean it's going to happen to everybody at some point at this like yeah yeah yeah. that's that's the experience and that's existence you know yeah something's going to happen that you're not going to get some of the things that you want Mm -hmm. and but then you at the superficial level it's fine but when you get to the deeper level then that actually has more of an impact obviously i'm sorry i didn't talk over you what you're saying no but you will also but you will get what you want well that's the up and down of it some parts will work out and some parts won't won't Mm -hmm. right and sometimes you will get you what you want and then you realize, shit, I don't think I wanted that. <laughs> yeah, I think I was talking about something about this yesterday, a patient, you know, like the gypsy curse is may you get what you want. That's the gypsy curse. Be careful what you want. Mm-hmm. You might get it. Mm-hmm. And then things will turn out much worse for you. That's right. That's an interesting thing. But even that is kind of like interesting in its way too from a philosophical point of view because I certainly know people you were talking about making decisions and choices. I know people who, you know, you, we watch people around us in our lives. We watch patients, we watch people we know, friends, family, people we love. And you're like, that choice sucks. That mm. is a terrible choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is not a good choice. That's going to turn out to be bad. And in that sense, you got what you want, I suppose, because you chose it, but you probably didn't really get what you want out of it. Not really. Yeah. So the gypsy curse kind of fits here too. I think the Chinese curse is may, may you live in interesting times. So we got nice. both those courses go, going on now. Give me the boring. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so that's it. So those are the first three, right? And uh, this idea of uh, facing unpleasant things you don't want to do, being separated from things you would like to do, and then the very deep things. There's things you really long for, things that you really want that don't work out. Um, and then the last one is, I guess, you know, we're going to get into like one of your favorite subject matters in Buddhist thought and psychology. They say dealing with flawed aggregates. So we have to talk about like, what the hell are flawed aggregates? (laughs) What does that even mean? And um, we're going to have to talk about what aggregates are anyways. And then I'm like really curious to hear what we both have to say about this. Yeah. So I think the starting point of this is in Buddhist thought, 
you know, we're all like composite beings mm-hmm. we're made up of all these different components and factors. And they are uh, physical things that have to do with the body. There's all kinds of like mental psychological factors that we have. There's all kinds of like spiritual and karmic factors. I've been having an interesting conversation with a student kind of via text about like astrological things. You know, their factors and how you can analyze a person. They're connected to the person's body and their psychology and the experiences of their life, but it's like a certain kind of number of factors. So no matter what it is, you know, you can always say, well, these are pieces that are like composites that make up a person. Some of the stuff I think in Western culture, we're used to talking a lot about the physical things because we're a very physical, mm-hmm. American culture for sure is a very physical culture, right? So we spend a lot of time thinking about the body and it, what it's bringing to the story. But in Buddhist thought, there's all these other factors that are more like um, psycho-spiritual. They're coming from the mind or uh, the spirit or the Shen, if you want to use the Chinese word for spirit, the Shen, that kind of a thing. So there are more subtle factors involved with this. And we're kind of like the big melting pot of all of this stuff, like mixing together. Mm-hmm. that'll make you who you are so that's kind of the basic five aggregate theory um we haven't said the five but that's kind of the basic theory of it anything else you want to add to that daniel no good for now you're good with that okay so then uh we'll go through the individual aggregates and like you said it's a really kind of a it is a useful tool to think about this okay so they say there's five the first one of these is form meaning the physical body of the person and all the stuff associated with that so all the medical biological events happening inside of a person's body that's like a certain part of a a story Mm -hmm. of what's happening now if you think about this this is a fucking complicated story then because there's tons of things happening within the body entwined with these other things we're going to talk about in these aggregates but it's like not a simple story so this is like all the genetics that you inherited from your line of ancestry this is all of the bio uh, chemical events and neurological events and everything happening in the brain and all of this stuff is going on. That's kind of like the influence of the body on the person, right? And who you are in the end. And it's really deep and it's a ton of stuff. So the only other thing I could think of talk about with that, Daniel, and I don't know, you let me know what you think is, I think in uh, Western culture, American culture, there's a lot of people who just want to like stop there. And for them, all there really is is kind of the body and then whatever the body produces in terms of their psychology and their mind and the story is over. But Buddhism isn't like that. Mm-hmm. And Asian spirituality isn't like that. Yeah. Is there anything else important to say about that? Well, or? I think, I think, you know, I've been having this discussion a little bit more with, um, you know, professional people, not professional, I don't want to put it like that. Let's just say, you know, people who, who are interested in this kind of ideology, you know, mm-hmm. and this idea of, of, of washing things over with American culture probably isn't so accurate anymore. It's, I think, and we mentioned it, it's the Western culture, right? Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, mm-hmm. You know what I'm that. saying? And so like, I, I, I want to highlight that here because it, it's more pervasive than probably we're even aware of, you know? Uh, uh-huh. Even though the culture, there may be quote unquote cultural differences between us and the French language and, and you know, customs and whatever, the the penetration of the kind of like capitalistic neoliberal you know or you know neoconservative these kind of movements are so ingrained within the system it benefits those power structures for this psychology to stop at the body actually because questioning outside of that i don't think gives the the sort of feedback loop that the structures that are benefiting from these ideas would benefit from if we thought else else 
wise other yeah 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 wise, you know yeah i'm totally in on that and like as far as previewing episodes we're probably going to do some episode called like neoliberalism and you <laughs> if you don't know what neoliberalism is probably should because you're living under it probably yeah that will be right. one of the probably one of the handful of you know political-esque type episodes we'll ever yeah. do you know but it's even not even like because it's not like it, it cuts in every direction politically yeah. it's not like yeah. one it's not like saying oh this side of the political thing is like this no no, no. That. we have our likes and dislikes in politics for we sure certainly do <laughs> you could probably guess them if you thought for like a second about you know if you ever listen to any of these episodes but you know this is something that's much more pervasive and you yeah. with this it's not like yeah. one party political party versus another certainly in the united states way of talking about it. right yeah and so i don't got an issue with saying that this is like a, a certain kind of modern western cultural uh materialist kind of point of view and that it fits into a capitalist kind of way of thinking about things i got no issue with anything you're saying mm -hmm. there either yeah i think we are 100 percent simpatico on that point philosophically it's interesting though um like can you believe that there's something beyond um the physical body itself because people are sort of i mean bob thurman talks about this a lot mm -hmm. you're sort of taught not to yeah or so to just stop here this is where the story ends and i think you can have that position and i'm not trying to like you know if you're a biological uh minded person and this is your way of looking at the world i'm that's your choice. I mean, that's like that a way is of your choice. The world, yeah. And I'm not going to like, you know, I might have friends who feel this way and we've learned how to talk to each other in respectful ways, mm -hmm. <laughs> like good friends and we get along and everything is good. Um, and I respect their point of view, mm -hmm. but you know, it's a certain, it's a different way of thinking than what we're going to be talking about in any of this Taoist, Buddhist, and any of these other kinds of things. Yeah. All right. Anyways. Anyway. So, okay. So that's the first one of these. So everything you got that's like medical and whatever fits into this. And even like, Chinese acupuncture channels and points and whatever in a funny way, these are part of this whole thing too, right? Mm -hmm. This is everything that the body influences. So it's a huge factor. Oh, you know what I was going to say was I was talking with my son about this. <laughs> I think I bring it up later in the episode too. I've been asking him, he likes to grade things. <laughs> he likes to rank things. And so one of the ways to get into a conversation is you present an idea and you ask him to give it the letter grade. <laughs> <laughs> so he's given letter grades to things. Asked him what he thought of soulmates. He gave it a C plus. Mm, okay. <laughs> above like, average. No. Above average. It's like no, there's no like one person. No, that's not a thing. That's <laughs> like okay, C plus. Um, uh, and I think when I originally asked him about reincarnation, he gave it like a B plus. Mm. He was a little bit better, but he had some doubts about it. But now since then, he's raised his grade to an A. Wow. And I don't. I he said it was always an A. I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> But, you know, we, we were talking about this stuff and like, I think for him, it was like, well, how, like what, there's like a spirit inside the person that jumps out when the person dies or something that didn't seem right to him. <laughs> so I think that's what lost it to half, half a letter grade down to a B plus. Well, it's a, it's, it's a solid ration, right? Reason, you know, solid rationale. Anyways. So, but this is the thing that you're being asked to think about. So we've done episodes yeah. on this before. It just came back again. All right. Aggregate number two. Aggregate number two is the feeling aggregate which talks more specifically, obviously we're into something psychological like what you were talking about earlier, Daniel, you're into something that like has to do with your emotions. And there's like a, a huge range of like inner emotions that we all can feel obviously uh, in a, I, what I think is a handy way in Buddhism. And they do this a lot with like emotions and then even like thoughts and experiences and whatever. They can say they're positive, negative or neutral. 
Mm -hmm. So your emotions can be positive ones that you feel drawn to. They can be negative ones that are unpleasant and painful and you want to get away from. And then they have ones that are just kind of like neutral. And a lot of times you can kind of see during the day, you walk around kind of like a neutral a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. You're not feeling too much one way or the other. You're kind of like, okay, you know, this is what it is. Nothing too exciting is happening, but nothing too painful is happening. I'm existing in kind of a neutral state. So this is how they organize that. And then underneath this, I guess maybe we should do an episode at some point you know to do the buddhist psychology we could kind of talk about what's underneath these headings because there's like positive ones and they break them down and then there's negative ones and they break them down and there's neutral ones and they break them down so maybe we'll do it at some point we right should on. yeah but we're just kind of yeah. you know skimming skimming, we're skimming it now so this i think they say it could be positive negative or neutral in kind of like two ways though they can be positive negative or neutral in the sense that they might feel pleasant unpleasant or just kind of like yeah or they might be positive, negative, and neutral in the sense that they might be positive for you in terms of like helping you and making you better. They might be negative in the sense of like ultimately causing you problems and maybe making you worse. And then mm. they might be neutral and that they don't have much of an impact in one way or the other. I think that's fair to talk both of those ways. And that probably will get to like maybe two different ways of thinking about how this could play itself out. And you got anything more on that one that you think is important? To no, say? I think I think what you said is correct. You know, all right, yeah, and which which goes right into the next one, anyways. Yeah, so this is a really kind of a curious one to even know what to call it. Sometimes they'll call it discrimination, but that word in English has so many other connotations and parts to it that it's almost like it's uh, it's a word with a lot, it's a word with a lot of feeling aggregate in it. It's like so. Yeah. The, what they mean by it is they mean like like how you organize or divide up your world yeah i, I like sense i like someone uh use the term discernment here and i like i that like it i uh -huh. like that much better i was doing a little pre-show research and the one person i kind of look at he called he just said perception mm -hmm. or what you might say like uh, cognitive categories that we carry within ourselves how we yeah. organize our worlds into like certain like probably like concepts yeah, for me, perception is kind of like a filtration system. Yeah, yeah. I guess could you be. can do that, but then the discernment is kind of like the cutting, the separation at that point. It's a little bit more, you know, okay, this is good for me. Oh, whoa, whoa, that is avoid that completely, you know, whereas for me, perception is a little bit more intimate. It's kind of like I'm, I'm feeling it as it's occurring. I'm, I'm yeah, know, like perception sometimes has the idea of like sensation and psychology yeah. than perception. I just recognize that something is there. I haven't yes. really made too much additional stuff on it. Yeah. But it's probably somewhere in between this. Well, it's interesting because there's like a, like a, there's a cognitive category thing here that you can see talked about. Like the fact that like as a human being, as a living thing, you tend to organize things like uh, into categories and groups mm -hmm. and you have these things inside of you. And um, some of it could be good, like what you were talking about. Like, wait a minute, that's kind of negative for me. Oh, that one's positive. I'm, I'm discerning, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that would be this thing working well, Yeah. right? It can also go kind of clunky. All of these things can, right? And uh, I think the clunky part would be that we carry cognitive categories which might not be that good. Right. We lump the world around into ways that aren't that aren't right. I'm sure you can come up with lots of examples of things like that. But um, you know, you could think, uh, uh, "I am uh, uh, I am a person who's going to win. This person is a person who's going to lose. <laughs> Winners and losers. That's my cognitive categories. You know." Uh, this is also going to be influenced, which is what they don't, well, I don't know that they, I don't know they do or they don't talk about it, but we'll say societal factors or cultural factors, you know, ethical factors that, that, that 
change your perception. We're using a perception, right? But that change the way that you're going to categorize things um, can, can change this because in one culture, something is totally acceptable. In another culture, that is absolutely like horrific. You know, yeah, so the win. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So like the moral and ethical tags that get passed down and passed through to the you know, the being that we're discussing now, this sort of you know aggregate being, uh, ch- it can change. Yeah, no, I think this is the part that like if we get to like foreshadowing qualms and questions, this is a lot where my questions are around this. Mm-hmm. I, I not like I don't get to what they're saying, and I don't think they're trying to say that these things aren't sociocultural, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, like, like sometimes we've used the example in the podcast about like the caste system in India, because Buddhism was were confronted with that, like right away, right? Mm-hmm. And like, okay, this person is untouchable. This person is a Brahman, uh, uh, you know, Brahmin, and this person is a whoever, you know, like you go through that and you're like, well, like you're making like a bunch of cognitive categories. And a lot of this stuff can be completely illusory, right? And are like completely fabrications of a culture that you happen to be living in. I think they, they get that, obviously, that's true. You know, but they don't always say it explicitly. Yeah, you know, they don't always say it in the moment. Yeah. Could we? I've been, I've been wrestling with the same set of questions. Could we out. say that in this culture, the the people who view themselves as Brahmins are maybe elitist in a way? I think there's definitely like an elitist aspect to that. I don't think you know, like around that, right? And I, you know, I mean that that word gets thrown about by. There's lots of conversations about like cultural elites now, like in you know. Yeah, I don't mean cultural. I mean actual elites. You know, like people, you know, like people who who have means believe they should have means, right? And believe those means should stay within the confines of their kin. You know, I mean, it's kind of an interesting. I don't know how that exactly correlates to a caste system, but definitely the concept is there. Like. And again, we've talked about this in different episodes, but the whole idea, if you were from like uh, an Amazonian place, you know, you lived your life in the Amazon and someone dropped you into Europe, one of the things you'd immediately see, apparently from historical anecdote, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. how fucking unfair it is <laughs> that some people are deprived and other people are wealthy as hell. You would see that immediately, right? But in uh, like the, the cognitive categories that are okay within western culture or you if you went to the united states or whatever yeah. you know, to just go to europe you know these are this is like you just accept this because you have mm-hmm. this concept you know and that but you know uh this does fit under the whole idea of what buddhism tries to challenge right or zen or Taoism or any of these things i mm-hmm. think ultimately right they try to challenge the fact that these cognitive categories are there some of them come uh you know really deep from the socio-cultural system that the person is in right and they carry them within themselves yeah I don't know. It's a little bit, it's a trippy thing. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about it, but the thing that gets me too is some of this stuff might be karmic. Yeah. Where I really, and I've had this thought since we've been doing this podcast and I keep saying this thing, like, I don't feel like I'm from this culture. So the things that are like second nature to people here don't look second nature to me at all. Mm. They look kind of weird. And I always say it because there might be other people who feel the same. You know, so someone's saying it gives you maybe like a chance to think, oh, I feel that kind of that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it has occurred to me, like, if you keep reincarnating in the same culture over and over and over again, the shit within that culture seems very normal to you. The cognitive categories and the, the, the discernments of that culture seem like 
yeah, that like seems like that's just how it is. But it's mm. not like it's not. <laughs> it's just some shit from this place. I, I I'm really like having a hard time with this. <laughs> this is a part of this question that is obviously like uh, a bee in my bonnet. Mm. I can't get away from this thing because it's bothering me a lot. Anyway, so there it is. So that's the perceptual category thing. I have like one person, non-American, you know, very close in my life, who's just like concepts. Why do people have all these concepts? <laughs> constantly with these concepts trying to force them on everything and i was like that's so taoist of you you know because there's always this i think that you're trying to jam things into some kind of concepts right Make the people around you jam them in the roles the roles are predefined and then maybe the person doesn't fit that role mm -hmm. you know so you, you're just constantly coming around with these ideas i suppose a lot of the arguments and you know certainly in american culture are like people want things to be a certain way they want yeah let's say women to be a certain way. They have a concept of what that means and they want to jam people into that concept, right? Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So the, the other one of these, as we boogie along with this, is this thing called compositional factors. This is the one that I think is really complicated. So we might not be able to do this anywhere near the justice in the episode that we're doing here, but we'll give it a tumble, obviously. Mm -hmm. So interested in hearing your thought about this. The way I've heard this talked about is really in two ways. One way is a little bit more easy peasy. And it seems the way it might be talked about in things like the Tibetan Book of the Bardo, right? You know, they sometimes get stuff that sounds a little bit like this. Lama Glenn will sometimes do it this way. Glenn Mullen, yeah, one of the teachers that we love. He'll kind of like simplify this down. He'll say, well, these are sort of like overarching life goals and, uh, you know, deeper things, you know, like, uh, these deeper drives within a person of what they want to do, the mm -hmm. things that they want to accomplish in a deep way are, the, you know, like kind of there can be one way of looking at what a compositional factor is. So either like this very deeper parts of people, and this is a little bit more simple because when this functions really, really well, people accomplish activities. They call it the, the wisdom of accomplishing activities when this energy goes really, really well. So that's one way of looking at it. The other way is looking at it like it's just this whole huge cluster of psycho spiritual mental karmic factors hmm. that are all like one big hodgepodge and it's like really quite a long list of things when you like really kind of hit the tibetan tantric text and you open them up there's like a ton of shit in here <laughs> they're almost like deeper universal psycho emotional spiritual states a lot of them look like they're kind of descriptions of different people's mental states and, um, you know, like uh, feelings and desires around these mental states or whatever. So that's, that's the other deeper way of looking at it. It's, it's, but it is a really complicated thing. I suppose it comes from the idea that when you reflect internally, you can realize that there's these deeper, like driving, you know, force things of your life that are really pushing you like in the first example, or you find that there's just this whole world of internal things or whatever you want to call it internal or wherever you want to put it this whole deeper world of psycho spiritual mental karmic stuff that's just kind of there if you look deep enough maybe like it's not the exact same thing but if people are familiar with like carl jung at all you know one of his psychological ideas is if you go deep enough you all of a sudden you enter into this like hugely archetypal world where there's this total rich collective unconscious this whole thing of um uh you know, like um, psychological, psycho-spiritual um, ideas and concepts that are just like, 
just there. That might be one way of thinking of something like this, but it's kind of huge, mm-hmm. actually. It's a whole bunch of stuff. So I know you got something else you want to say about this one? No, this one is. I mean, this, this one is deep. And yeah. like, I've listened to people talk about it and they're like, when this one comes up, they're always like, how do I talk about this? <laughs> so it's not just in our podcast episode. We're going, how should we talk about this? You know, this one is like uh, uh, mega mondo deep. But I think it's like fair to say that I've seen it presented in two ways. And so if you're thinking about this for yourself, if you're listening to this, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. How should I think about these things of myself? One would be like deeper driving life goals. I want to do this in some deep way. And the other would be like all the stuff that you discover in yourself, you know, uh, that is like uh, kind of uh, universally there and huge, all these deeper psycho-emotional sort of like states, you know, that are uh, kind of all hovering around. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough one to talk about, but there it is. Right. Well, and then the question is, is how do you go about it? I mean, how does one go about in, in deciphering those, you know, like how do you get to that? How, how do you figure those things out or t- t- get in the, I don't know, state to be able to touch some of those kinds of ideas, those tendencies? You know, some of the times they just list like these fundamental mental states. Um, I've seen like two different ways this is handled. Sometimes when they just do it from a Buddhist psychological point of view, they'll just talk about like almost like a whole like cluster of like um, just typical mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual states. Mm-hmm. we can do kind of like a what we do the Buddhist psychology episode which it seems like we should now right mm-hmm. now we're kind of like saying we're going to do it so we probably will at some point they just give you like okay these are common mental states that are kind of like ubiquitous and universal yeah yeah um so sometimes i do it like that i've also seen it kind of divided up into like we'll use a little asian uh different part of asian cultural talk like yin states yang states and neutral states mm-hmm where they say, here's all the yin mental states. And they just get this long list. Like there's 33 of them. And then they'll go like, okay, here's the 40 that are more yang. And here's the seven that are kind of neutral. And you'll find these inside yourself if you look, right? Uh, I threw the Carl Jung thing out mm-hmm. just because it kind of fits in. Um, it's not perfect. But, you know, he talks about this idea of just discovering this other set of things inside yourself that are much more universal or something. Mm-hmm. So I guess like I was trying, just trying to like, back to that experience yeah so it's supposed to come out through like self-reflection okay um i know for myself when the you know there's like these subtle channels in buddhist tantra and when the left one which is usually visualized as being white is more active then there's a certain set of yin mental states that come in Mm -hmm. and when the one on the right is more active they're kind of like both like thought to be like kind of on either side of the spine kind of but you know it's like visualize it's not like your actual spine mm-hmm. um but you know like they're like subtle yoga channels or something right yeah and in the yoga tradition they'll still refer to these as inga and pingala yeah 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 yeah. so i know how you feel about this but when the ones on the right are more active then you feel more yang and then these mental states kick in and when the ones in the middle get more active then you feel these sort of like in between ones and they're usually are a little bit more dull the mind gets kind of forgetful and they'll yeah they'll whatever, even sleepy They'll even go so far as saying when the left nostril is open that you're supposed to be more awake because the left left nostril isn't is in uh, balance with the right side of the body. That you feel more awake when the right side of the nostril is more open. That you'll be a little bit more kind of on the tired side, sleepy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that you to find the balance between the two is is beneficial for numerous reasons and to know yourself. 
as you're waking up, as you're doing your breathing practices, usually that's when you tell, right, is when you're focused on that kind of a thing. But I think the, the other part of this is to bring awareness to, to your own mental states, to your own mindset. Mindset, I don't even know if I want to use that word because that seems like a, a rigid kind of thing, but it's to, it's to be conscious of your consciousness, which is where this is going next. Yes. <laughs> Only thing I can say before we go is I don't know what to think about that because for me, when the left side is open, I do think the breathing thing really matters. And we'll probably do more about this stuff. You know, this just sort of popped up in the episode, but this yeah. is like an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. We did a little bit when we talked about uh, uh, the Zen master Hakuin and his yeah. meditation stuff, but there's this weird thing with the nostrils. And if you've done any meditation, it's like for some period of time, you notice that your breathing will flip around in these weird ways. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even seem anatomically possible. It doesn't. You'll notice you'll be like, oh my man, my right side's really stuffed. And all of a sudden, bang, the right side will be super open. open. Maybe the left side feels stuffed. And you're like, well, how the hell did that happen? The doll like the boogers like climb over the, like, what happened <laughs> to them? Where did they go? How did this even happen? But it happens. It's very real. And then you'll notice that like your mental states will change. Um, so I don't know what to say about this. Uh, I haven't felt that I'm more awake on the left and more asleep on the right exactly. That's interesting. I'll have to pay attention to that. But I have felt the mood thing. You know, some of the, like the yin minds can get a little bit more bluesy or something. Mm-hmm. It can be a little bit more downer. And then some of those yang minds that I usually associate more with the right. And sometimes even when the right nostril is open are a little bit more like uh, peppy <laughs> and lively or frisky. Yeah, or whatever. And I think like when we get to the real deep Buddhist tantra, I do think there's a weird thing that happens that seems counterintuitive because it almost looks like the left is more associated with like experiences of bliss in a weird way even though that seems counterintuitive and the right one might be associated more with experiences of like wisdom and emptiness or something i know it's strange but it was preview <laughs> foreshadowing again all right we don't have that much time left so let's do the consciousness aggregate because we said we we're going to do all five of these things and we got probably got time to do it all right so the consciousness aggregate is another funny one because so much of this stuff seems mental We've talked about people's emotions. We've talked about like their kind of cognitive categories, how they organize their worlds, their deeper drives, these other like deeper sort of mental states that are kind of like more universal for everybody. And then they say consciousness. So this is like funny because you'd be like, we've been talking about consciousness the whole time. (laughs) But basically what they do is they say, um, there are six of these things. There are five, which is just the, your, your ability to experience and be aware of your five sensory sets of experiences, to be able to be aware of visual things and auditory things and things you can smell and taste and touch. And that's it. So those things. And then the ability to experience your own uh, inner thoughts. So you have an ability to experience, I guess you'd say your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own memories all this kind of stuff. So this is kind of a trippy thing. And this is a little bit that gets back to my conversations with my son and him giving grades. (laughs) Because you're really talking about the ability to have like a mental, like you have a consciousness that's not quite your body, not just quite your brain. And it can be aware of all these other things that are happening. And that's kind of a trippy idea. That's not would definitely say that's trippy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel? I didn't mean to, I think you were going to say something about it. Uh, no, think? I was just going to say we should just run, we should run through them because we're, 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 you know, we only got about maybe five or six minutes left. So we should just run through them and then see what, you know, then, then double back so we don't make sure we don't miss one before we. You're talking about the five aggregates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we got it. So we got form, 
right feeling yep. discernment or cognition or something like that correct C compositional factors which is that really complicated one and then whatever the role of like the ability of the mind to experience stuff mm -hmm. you know this is the the capacity of the mind to experience so they're really talking about like a mind that isn't just produced from your body Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't like that kind of a thing. It's a mind that kind of has its own deal going on a little bit. And it experiences the sensory experiences of the world. And it also experiences the emotions and the different cognitive it experiences, all these inner things, but it's the capacity to experience your own mind. So mm -hmm. it's like those five sense things, plus the ability to experience your own mind. I remember when I first read this back in the day, I was an undergrad. And uh, uh, I hadn't started doing MA Zen stuff or anything. It was just like uh, not even on my radar. But I had a book like like called like What the Buddha Taught or something like that. Mm. And I remember reading about this consciousness aggregate, just going like, "What is this?" <laughs> and it was weird for me to think that you experience your own mind because I think I thought, "Well, I am my own mind. <laughs> right? How am I experiencing my own mind?" But realistically, that's not true. <laughs> You experience your own mind, you experience your emotions, you experience these things like you're, you know, and like that took a, that, that was an interesting idea when I first heard it, that had never occurred to me before, mm -hmm. you know, probably like a lot of people I thought, well, I am my mind, what would I like, what would I be experiencing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was like, no, that when I looked at it a different way, I was like, no, I really do. I experience my own thoughts flitting through. I experience my own emotions. It's something like, even that gets weird. Cause who's the, who's the the eye and the mind in that or something mm. like that but subjectively speaking when you start looking at it, you certainly can say like well wait a minute i i these are experiences that i'm having there's a flow of experience and some of them include different feelings and some of them include different thoughts and some of them include different sensory things and all that which is what they're trying to get to here something like that mm -hmm. all right what do you think you got anything else on it no i i think that that was the point that did it for me too it mm -hmm. was that it it's happening yeah. and then you're experiencing it and what is it, it and is who's before. you <laughs> and, and that's correct <laughs> and who's the you that's experiencing it that's these right. are like yeah those are deep questions <laughs> yeah these are these are that 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 was kind of you know, you know because it, it gets you to this point where you're like okay i see it i see it all right that's cool that's cool we're breaking the, the reality down into different parts but then it comes to the point where it says all right then here's reality here are you, but who are you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not your thoughts, then what does a dog have a Buddha nature? Because I think that was your dog just like. Yeah. He was shaking it off. <laughs> shaking it off. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And th th these kind, th this level of thinking to me is, you know, just I, I don't know, genius level or some <gasps> kind. Yeah. Like my, yeah. like you're just like, wait, wait, what? You know? Yeah. Who's who's talking? Who's thinking? Who's listening? Who is, you know yeah. what I'm saying? All these kinds of, like, it, it just, it takes. The first thing I read it, I was like a 20 something year old physics major, like 20 years old. And I went, what? <laughs> mm -hmm. What? Right? Because it is a mind blower, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I killed your flow a little bit. I didn't mean to. Why were you, oh, were you no, saying no. something else about it? No, no, no. Yeah, okay, no, that, good. That's, I didn't mean that, to do that, it. That's yeah. Right. yeah. No, it's crazy. It's like, it's really trippy. Which again gets to the, the final thing, which is not included in this, which is like, all of us are like this. We're all are these aggregates is the way they're going to talk. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, in, uh, then you have this other idea of Buddha nature or like deepest part of the Shen or the consciousness or the whatever spirit or whatever you want to say. So that part gets tossed in here. 
not in this conversation exactly right now, but that's also flitting around in this. Because is there like a, a deeper part of the person that is universal formless, formless, blissful, light, whatever? Mm -hmm. That ends up being flitted into this too. Mm -hmm. And what's the connection between that and all of these thoughts and experiences that your 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 that your mind is having? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's a trippy thing too, because they're saying like essentially in a weird way, which we know is true. It's your mind is creating the experiences of the world. <laughs> You know, they don't ex like, I, you know, I'm in the, my son's room here. There's a globe here on the desk and there's some other of his junk, <laughs> you know, and uh, I was talking about him about this the other day. And he was like, oh, that's really trippy. Cause I was pointing out, like, we think that the stuff that we're seeing is like, we're just seeing like the exact version of it, like the way it is out in reality. It's not true. <laughs> we're seeing some kind of like fabricated thing that our mind is making up. And he gave that, he, I think he gave that an A. <laughs> <laughs> he said, that's a trippy idea. I'm going to give that an A. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about it next time. We, I know we got to go, but I was trying to explain to him, maybe if we do Buddhist parenting or spiritual parenting, Buddhist Taoist tantric parenting, because I was, we were out and he said like, well, let's have a deep conversation. He was really excited. <laughs> let's get, I was getting a crepe. He was getting a BLT. <laughs> so let's get a deep conversation. He was like excited. And I was like, okay, cool. So I said, does a tree in the woods make a sound if there's no one here to hear it? It's a Zen riddle. What do you think? And we talked about it for maybe like 40 minutes or something, because it really is this point, you know? And by the end, he gave it an A. <laughs> and then for what, what with the dog shaking up earlier, then I told him the one about, does the dog have a Buddha, Buddha nature? And we haven't talked the backstory of that yet. Mm. Coming up soon. We'll do, does a dog have a Buddha nature? That Zen riddle. All right. Anyways. All right. Thanks for a great episode, Daniel. I think uh, yeah, we still haven't answered our question. So apologies for oh, <laughs> we're still we're not, but we're not going to do it now. Um, <laughs> yeah, we ran out of time, but we had to talk about the five aggregates. We had to talk about the five aggregates. Yeah, so you know, on that. Yeah, I just okay. So that pick it up for next week. We'll 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 cliffhang it another week. Yeah, like we one have of those to. frustrating Netflix shows where they just won't give you the fucking answer. Like they every week, you, you're just waiting. Won't. They won't give you the answer, but you know, we're getting, we're, we're getting there. You know, this is how we roll though. Right. This is like a, you know, slow build. I watch these BB mysteries, BBC mysteries who killed lady, lady Pendrake. We still don't know. It's like four episodes in. Yeah. <laughs> who killed her? Yeah. Yeah. But okay, that, you like know, we, 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 we do our, we take our time with these things. We're trying to present, you know, information and, and you know, it, it's, it's, it has value. So the question is important because it's the practical aspect or, or a practical aspect of the original intent of our conversation, which was to highlight the various uh, attributes of suffering, right? Well, certainly your attitude, and I think it's right, is that these five aggregates are really useful. Yeah. It's yeah. really useful to like hear this at some point in your life and go, huh. It's yeah. illuminating. It, you know, yeah. it, it, gives you, it gives you insight into things that are occurring. It's like if you only ever saw white light, seeing the rainbow would be like mind blowing. You know? yeah, yeah, true, true. So, um, you know, taste the rainbow. <laughs> That's a good way to end it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, Eric, as always, thank you so much. I definitely appreciate uh, our work together. Uh, if you're checking us out on the video, whether it be on YouTube or Spotify, you know, what's up? Good to see everybody here. Um, hopefully you're 
happy to see our, our, our smiling faces. Uh, if you're checking us out on the audio, you know, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or, you know, wherever else that you're listening to us on, thank you for the listen. Uh, please go ahead and uh, subscribe. And if you can like and, and share, that definitely helps out the show. Uh, you feel free to hit us up at ginandtantra at gmail.com. I'll put the links, you know, where this will be published at. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at ginandtantra. You know, we're just uh, going to continue to do our thing and uh, we'd love to hear feedback from everybody. So please don't be shy. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch everybody on the next one. Peace. I want you to get together.